Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is the Market Report for week commencing the 29th of October. I'm Josh. Uh, Andrew's away this week. He's doing a crop tour, so I've been, I'm stepping in to fill his boots and basically give our view of the market for this week. Last week, if you remember, just to recap, Andrew was bearish to new crop wheat and bearish to old crop wheat. He has been proven right, sadly. He does want me to add for next week that he thinks there'll be a market consolidation uh, and that things won't change dramatically. So that's his point of view. Going on to mine, we're feeling bearish towards the wheat market, sadly. Um, There's huge amounts of wheat planted in Norfolk and Suffolk. I know that's looking very locally, but if you were to base your market opinion off local grains, there's been a huge amount of winter wheat seed sold, um, massive amount of plantings, weather's been dry, we're about to get some rain, Uh, things are really, you know, in terms of crop potential for next harvest, fantastic, but in terms of crop prices, not so fantastic. Looking further afield, UK as well, and Europe, massive amount of uh, wheat planted. Things look fantastic. And there's now, you know, the weather seems to have changed from from pretty much this weekend. Temperatures drop. There's a massive amount of precipitation. So things do look rather bearish at the moment. I think we've seen physical wheat values drop off nearly £10 this week. Interestingly, uh, farmers aren't actually selling a great deal at the moment. They're kind of out doing field work or or other things. They're thinking about potatoes, sugar beet, um, certainly not grain at the moment. This dry weather has given a superb um, seed beds for the crop for next year, which really is going to be certainly interesting, depending on how much wheat we're going to have. I think it's going to be a fair bit. Outside of Europe, uh, Australia is about, they're about to enter their rainy season. So yes, while I've had a very dry period, they're definitely expecting to have some 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 rain over the next couple of months we expect this to to definitely be a bearish sign saying that their crop production figures are going to be down dramatically so if they are looking to export you know to uh, the asia or to asia they're going to you know there's probably going to be hopefully a bit more coming from europe and from the us um that's kind of our feeling at the moment as this goes out on Monday the 29th of October and the Russians meet on Friday the 26th and we have to do the recording on the Friday, it's going to be tricky to know what the bullish news from Russia could potentially be. They do meet today uh, on the Friday the 26th, that is, to discuss uh, exports and what they may or may not be doing to curb tax or stop exports completely. The chance of that are, well, it's just, you know like throwing a dart in the dark it's very difficult to know exactly what you're going to hit and it's probably a bit silly to base your trading strategy off that um saying that if they do cut exports uh, or do anything it is going to push the grain market up but that's the only bit of bullish news out there at the moment rapeseed um Actually, compared to last week, prices are up. Uh, for November, we're sort of 3.22 compared to 3.20 last week. And uh, November, or harvest of next year, prices are looking around the sort of 311 mark compared to the 310. So while that's, you know, while wheat's been off, rapeseed's kind of held its own. Looking further forward, again, sadly looking bearish. 
Uh, crude oil production has dropped from 85 to 75 per barrel. And the Saudis are suggesting that OPEC are in a suicidal mode of just produce as much as you possibly can. But then there is suggestions saying they'll cut production if it does dip anything below 75 because that seems to be a good benchmark. Ben and Ian are both in uh, northern France in Rouen uh, doing a crop tour and they are looking and basically suggesting that rapeseed looks fairly dreadful compared to the UK. So old crop looking at those things the old crop is going to be more likely to held uh, held up by potential new crop stories than it is old crop so i'm afraid rapeseed doesn't look too fantastic one thing we should consider is last year we had everyone aiming for 350 it got to 330 and then collapsed this year we're in a similar sort of position where it's hit 320s and stayed firm for the last six weeks and the concern is if it drops down to below 300 everyone's going to be kicking themselves and moaning about it so if you haven't sold any rapeseed or you're looking at it i'd consider selling definitely a decent chunk of it just to be clear and you can put an option against it or do anything you need to later on in the year if if you think that's suitable malting barley uh, is actually quite good between now and christmas it's fairly dreadful um prices aren't very exciting molsters are kind of bought what they need to buy the big pressure will be buying um as from sort of january february march for molsters they are going to be short whether or not they'll tell you that they're they're feeling comfortable what they've got um they're not in reality spring malting barley plantings we're expecting to be much the same if not anything down because with farmers basically just planting wheat uh because they can pull up sugar beet or pull up potatoes and just plant perfect wheat then they do that instead of spring barley because why take the risk um, when you can plant wheat and you don't have spec problems generally speaking for next harvest uh, molsters will be going into it with bare boards so you know if you've got a good if you can grow low nitrogen spring barley you could you know if we have another tricky spring like we have had the last two years prices could do almost anything so consider that as being uh, something but probably would sell something just because it's not a bad place to be if you're you know you're the right side of 175 then things can't be too bad Feed barley has not dropped off anywhere near as much as wheat. We're looking at 160 for November compared to last week's 62. Yes, it's off £2, but compared to wheat's £10 loss or an £8 loss in a week, it's really not too bad. It's only a £2 discount to wheat currently at the moment for November, which is you know very rare. So anyone with feed barley may be worth considering... Uh, either selling some of these values or just just you know holding on to it especially with it being dry and good in a store i think you'll be okay thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours rtk farming is the uk's leading independent supplier of rtk signal to the farming industry with rtk delivered via radio or sim card rtk farming can work with any make of gps equipment from aftermarket systems such as Trimble and Topcon to factory-fitted equipment. With low annual subscription costs and discounts for multiple vehicles, RTK Farming is the solution. For more information, go to rtkfarming.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. Today I've got with me Ben Turner from a long line of Ben Turners. Um, ben is the great-grandson of Ben Burgess. Indeed. And Ben Burgess, to, to those who don't know the company? Uh, ben Burgess & Co., um, grounds care, ag and construction company, looking after East Anglia for mainline ag, turf and construction products. And formed in 1931. Indeed. So... Um, these are going to be very, very interesting times the next six months. We're, we're two sides of the fence, aren't we? I'm a guy buying the grain from them. And you're the guy who's supplying them with machinery. Sure. Um, 
so we're, we're, we're going to inevitably dance around, uh, you know, how we feel about Brexit and what happens next in that. First question has got to be, do you think farmers will be spending a lot pre-Brexit or saving their money for after? I get asked this quite often um, in terms of not necessarily around Brexit, but around cyclical nature of the business. You know, mm. great years, low yield some years and whatnot. A lot of the agribusinesses out there now are working on a change cycle, which is pre-planned. It's in the books. They plan to change after three years, five years, four years, whatever their accountants kind of pushing them towards. So we will see some swapping and changing here, but um, predominantly we're seeing consistent level of business. It's, uh, there's no big market fluctuations or changes. Uh, I think probably there'll be people cutting their cloth accordingly, trying to, to plan for the future, see what's coming. But the fundamental is we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> so um, you're planning for uncertainty, and that's the only thing we can be certain of, really. Yeah, I mean, they must, I guess, when they finally get round to announcing whatever it is, the unknown unknown, um, then I guess you're going to say, right, lads, ditch all the second-hand equipment to Poland now, wherever it goes to in Eastern Europe, let's, let's get it out of the country before that happens. Or you're going to say, right, no, let's not let another thing go because we're, there's going to be a great market for that in this country. Yes, yeah, the use kit, well... It's quite the debacle. Is it an opportunity? Is it a threat? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it, uh, got to be sensible with it. Um, good kit will always sell. Yeah. Fundamentally, that's that's what you're going to be sure you're going to be um, confident in your product. Have we reached the Have we reached the the max size of a tractor? Some people will always strive to go bigger. <laughs> um, for others, I think the the focus on soil, soil structure, soil health mm. um, has has pushed the the mindset away from 100% bigger is better to uh, a bit more of an open discussion. A lot more people are thinking, you know, okay, mid-sized tractors, something like a John Deere 6R. The power density we can get in those tractors now, you know, the the power-to-weight ratio is pretty phenomenal. Mm. And it's it's about, to to an ignoramus like me, that it's about compaction. It's about, yeah, so weight on the field and... Number of passes, I mean, I guess... Number of passes, uh, where you're passing, are you consistent? Are you control traffic farming? Are you going in one spot every time? Mm. Um, but it is, it's that compaction of the soil. Um, so if you can get a, a relatively sensible um, weight of tractor mm-hmm. uh, and you can then have good quality tyre equipment on it to, to share that load and share that weight out, um, if you're optimised for the situation, then yes, you can, you can look after your soil really quite nicely and see some considerable gains on that front. Mm. And, and some of our customers are going to control traffic farming, always using the same passes in the field. Um, and again, where they're not going over that land at all with a tractor, they're seeing yield increases. So it's it's working, but it's it's very much horses for courses. It's you know all these different soil structures, all these different types of t- farming environment. Whether you're on clay, whether you're on sand, it's growing different crops with different tools. So it is. What works for one might not work for another. But culturally, I think, yeah, there's a a swing there. Mm. Bigger isn't necessarily better anymore. No. I thought of a joke there, but I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, technology, you know, you, I believe, worked in the um, John Deere European office, main office, and you were working on technologies, you know, that they're looking at for the next four, five, six years or whatever. Yes. What happens next? Is there some new new ideas coming forward? Um, yes, there's there's always new ideas. John Deere's very good in the the way in which it looks at its future business. It invests massively in future technology and developments. The the kind of the focus now is 
is very much shifting towards ensuring complete uptime of the product in the field. What so, does that mean? Uh, when we want to use our kit, we want to use it. Okay. So, you know, no one minds servicing a product if it, if it is then infinitely reliable in field as and when we want it. Okay. Um, and so what we're striving for now is, is to move away from a reactive um, product nature. We don't want to wait for something to break. We want to deal with the issue before it comes. Um, so there's a lot more push going on towards sensors, uh, cameras, mm-hmm. um, and systems, uh, built-in intelligent systems within our product. Um, we have a product which we're pushing to market at the moment. Well, it's a John Deere product um, called Expert Alert. The crux of that is we know something's going to break before it breaks. So we can... Is that a button you're pressing in the main office to get that? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we, um, we just... Uh, the sensors on the machine um, monitor what's going on. And through the use of telematics, um, it is immediately fed back when there's an issue detected, whether it be uh, vibrations in a, in a bearing um, mm-hmm. or, or just indicative error codes that are kicking back to, to the main ECU on, on the tractor. We can actually say, wait a sec... When we've seen these before, okay. we can actually yeah. uh, we, we can work out a yeah. turbo is going to blow on this. Right. Now, let's make the phone call to the farm manager now. Tell him to stop using it. Let's replace the turbo, not wait for it to blow mid-use and, you know, and, and do a lot more damage as it goes. So we can turn what could have been a £10,000 job into a £1,000 job. And who doesn't want that? Okay. And, and, and farmers being trusting sorts go... So let me get this right. I'm driving my tractor in the field, and you're telling me it's about to break. How do I know you've not just got too many turbos in your pocket? You have to rely on the integrity of your partners in the whole Trust. whole whole yeah, situation no. there. And I, I think it's a question I had to ask. Yeah, no, can't blame you there. Can't blame you there. But no, we uh, we we we've got enough on the go, so we're not looking to uh, to run and run around and create too much work and. Well, my, my, my tactic with my lawnmower, which, which I'll add, I've got a, I have got a Ben Burgess uh, hater lawnmower that's Good about man. Good man. 12, 14 years old. And uh, my tactic is, if it goes, leave it. <laughs> <laughs> you, it you can do that, but it's not exactly mission critical. <laughs> Mid-harvest, um, if you can't cut your grass, you're all right. But um, not quite sure how you're going to feel like that with your combine. Technology, you know, we've, we've seen... Um, Satellite technology can can that improve? Where do where do, can we not have anyone on tractors at all? Is that is that really where we're going? It might be a bit of a bit of a non-committal answer. I'm afraid it's uh, from a health and safety perspective. I believe there'll be a, it'll be a long time coming. Yeah, I, I've I've looked at sensationalist. You know, like this is going to be there'll be people driving great big vehicles that's got no one in it, no conscience. It'll run over a baby or whatever. It's a terrible uh, headline that kills the the, the, the most the concept. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, uh, very much what sits there at the moment is there's, a, there's an awful lot of automation in the field, but um, you always need that human element of sitting on the seat and uh, and overriding when the computer doesn't quite pick up on something. Mm. Will that disappear? Maybe, but I think there's there's other areas we can we can seek to benefit, um, whether it be uh, the genetics of crop and whatnot. You know, there's if we want to see yield increases and and, and higher levels of crop, that's not necessarily the the one way we can do it. It's the combination of bringing it all together. I mean, was it just once tractors? Um, so we started very much at the core with tractors. Um, 1931 I believe it's 1964 we started the grounds care side of the business okay um, and that's grown and it has been it's been a very interesting market to develop and change over the years um, and it's it's brought with it opportunity for us for the 
uh, for the growth and consistency of the business. Um, and it, it gives us a year-round busy nature, which is, which is quite nice. You know, we don't want to have big peaks in workload uh, where we were unable to keep our staff uh, to either working them too hard or working them too soft. You know, we want that a good middle ground that gives the opportunity for people to, um, to have a good working career but not be stressed. Staff members stay for very long periods. Your guys, you know, it's it's one of the that that must you must must be something you're very proud of. I mean, to have someone working in your stores and being the the face they see pretty well all the way through their working life. Um, how do you manage to do that? I think we've got a we've got a strong family feel to the business. It's it's important to us that we operate with integrity, and our staff are our business. Uh, and it sounds corny, but it's true. Um, and I think any farmer out there knows that you know, if, if one of their top team left, they'd be in a right muddle. Okay, and you've had a very strong apprenticeship scheme, haven't you? Which which other firms don't seem to have done. Is that right? Yes. Uh, well, if you can't get the workforce you want off the market, you've just got to go and grow your own. I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. And so the apprenticeship scheme has has made that feasible for us. Um, we invest heavily in it. Um, try and bring a lot of youngsters through, get them into the business. Don't you worry about them like learning everything and then setting up themselves to compete? You try and look after the majority and do the very best you can. But yes, if they're staying in the industry, then we're doing something right. You know, there's 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 benefit in that. <laughs> Moving on to a slightly different subject, um, obviously, this podcast is at the moment unique in the grain trade sense, um, and we're getting our fair share of uh, ribbing and some praise and some kind of people who are using it for their insomnia. <laughs> Can't uh, blame you, them. You haven't listened to our podcast yet. I haven't yet. I'm afraid I've um, I've dropped off the old social media side recently. Uh, so no, I'm afraid. Uh, well, you know, so, social media is is an area that um, is is the golden opportunity and the curse. You very much agree. And agree. you've dropped off because um, a plethora of things. Uh, life is busy yeah. for, for everyone. I think these days we we all keep ourselves very busy and. It's so easy to, um, when you get those quiet moments, to just sit down and flick through what's going on in the world that you probably saw a couple of hours ago and you probably don't need to see again. Mm. And uh, I think it's bred some pretty, I'd say, I'd go as far as saying pretty toxic behaviour in some, some people to try and portray a lifestyle that is not reality. Um, you, you get people beating themselves up because they can't can't be seen to, um, to do as well as their peers out there in the world, and they, for them, I find, yeah, it's, it's it's. I just feel that the whole thing there is, it's a bit of a toxic mess, and I just looked at it and went, actually, I don't don't need this in my life. Mm. It's it's not it's not bringing me anything. But podcast um, is a very captive little box which we we're we're growing to love here. We're 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 doing this thing. And gradually, we're we're enjoying more and more of it. Um, and I think I think it's, it's quite a powerful tool. We've had some really big responses to it. So, so maybe you know Ben Burgess have a podcast. You never know. You'd be the man, wouldn't you? Oh, I. We look, like to look at different opportunities, and and potentially, yeah, a podcast is a good way of getting out there. We spend um, I spend far too long in my car, and uh, you know, you sat there in the car, poodling along. What do you do? Do you listen to your music for an hour or do you try and inform yourself on something? Well, that's the point. That's exactly where our captive audience is either sitting in a tractor yeah. or sitting in a car. They're not going to put it on before they go to sleep, I doubt. Well, well other than the insomniacs who are using it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting dynamic. And I, I think, um, obviously, you'll listen to this one because you want to know what you said. Indeed, indeed. 
how we edit you. <laughs> All the bad bits out, I hope. So what's Ben Senior up to nowadays? Oh, he's a busy boy. He's a busy boy in the background. Um, the business has grown, as you uh, alluded to earlier, quite considerably over the years. And um, we're very lucky to have a strong senior management team, which means he can, uh, he can look more at future projects now. So uh, that might be our Ellington Depot, which we hope to open in about mid-November, mm-hmm. which should be uh, a fantastic site for us. It's uh, right next to the A14 and the A1, so we can, be, uh, we can be anywhere in a very short period of time. Unless the A14 is blocked. Well, there is that. There is that. Um, <laughs> but it, no, that, that logistical uh, opportunity is going to... Yeah, that's going to do us a lot of favours there. So, no, he's, mm-hmm. he's taking the lead on that, which is a, uh, a big project for us. Um, we're also uh, trying to relocate our, our HQ to a site at Swainsthorpe, just south of Norwich. So you're kind of coming out of the city a little bit? Yes. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're working off an approximate three-acre site in the middle of the city. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit tight. Mm-hmm. So we are, and Father is taking the lead. On, uh, on putting together a plan for a new depot, which will be a 28-acre site. Wow. Um, it's, going to be, it's going to be a massive, massive uh, push, not only for the company, but I really hope for the industry in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to create somewhere which is a really inspirational place to work, where people look at and go, wow, what's going on there? And um, will it be you know, just the things within your business, or will you allow you getting other people onto the site as a big site? It will be a Ben Burgess-only site, but uh, we'll be opening up the site for people to have conferences and um, use our meeting rooms and whatnot, and we really hope it'll be a, a, a lovely site that we can be very proud of. But we also want to get more contact with the educational side. So whether that might be the John Inner Centre, whether it might be Eastern and Otley, um, the UEA mm-hmm. is, is an untapped resource, in my opinion, in this, yeah. in this region. So all of those sites, we, we will be looking to work with to try and get them on site, to try and look at future projects, future development. But very much for the industry in the area, when you look at a, a lovely new shiny garage, let's take uh, the Audi garage at Posick, by way mm-hmm. of example. You drive past, wow, what a building, you know, glass, steel, isn't that lovely? How many ag dealerships do you see like that? They're hidden up out the way. They're tucked away. We're, we're perceived as a heavy industry. And I think it's, it's about time that we, we stopped being pushed into the bushes in the background and were allowed to flourish. You're never going to get little Johnny to come and work for, uh, for the business tucked away around the back of somewhere. It's not exactly something he's going to strive for. You've got to be proud of what we do. So if we, uh, if we need to be a bit more visible to get some good employees in, do you think I ought to paint my grain bin sort of gold lame colour or something Ooh, like that? Perhaps? Lovely. No, I, I think, uh, yeah. No, with pink, a pink maybe. Is a good do it with doing slogan. Hey. And work here too, yeah. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> Don't it, think it hurts. No, but I think um, moving out of the city will be easier for you to, to move your kit around. Must Easier, easier to move kits, um, easier for our customers to get to us. Uh, and I think realistically gives us the space we need to be more efficient and how we go about our business. And Ben, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming no, it's down. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, I hope so. And I hope, obviously, you'll now listen to a podcast for Ooh, sure. I'll strive to that. Cheers. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. 
Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So here we are again. We're uh, sitting over a beer with Ben opposite me. Hello, Wivy. And uh, so what have we got here today? This, I mean, I've got to say this first, actually, Ben. This is one of my favourites, actually. Another Norfolk one, Moongazer. Yeah, no, I think, I think the reason you probably like this, and, the re- and I like it, is it's, it's got tea in it. And, That's a bit quirky. Uh, yeah, and I think a beer with tea in it actually does work. So this is the Moongazer, Nelson's Orange Ale, 4.3%. I like this beer. I think this is a good, good drinking beer. And it is, it's, it is a Norfolk beer, isn't it? So where, where is Moongazer brewed? You need to wear your glasses, Webby. Hindringham. Okay. Yeah, Harvest Lane yeah, Hindringham. Norfolk. Funnily enough, it's got quite a bit of rye in it. And yeah, Maris Otter, but we won't talk about that. But it's a nice beer. Good beer, yeah. No, go on, let's give it a go. I can taste the orange. Yeah. Good, very drinkable. Love and I'm, I'm getting, a, I am getting the, the hint of tea in there. I've had another beer with tea in, and that was good. Okay, I have to say actually, after all the beers we've tried in this, there haven't been many that I haven't liked. I don't know what that says about myself. But mm, that says many, many things about you, Ian. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think we'll move on from there, Ben. Yeah. Um, so I mean, today, not only do I constantly take the piss out of you for having ginger hair, mm. but I refer to you as a sort of um, sandal-wearing flexitarian because Ooh, you're that's a long uh, word. Oh yeah, full of them. Um, because of your uh, your sector, your your trade. I mean, I, I shouldn't take the piss because it is a very rapidly expanding sector. It's, it's becoming very important in in agriculture, in people and in consumer interests. So, give us a few sort of words of inspiration, thoughts on the organic sector, please, Ben. Well, I yeah, I mean, yes, okay, yes. The the sandal wearing, chunky knit people of the organic sector. That doesn't exist anymore, Ian. Uh, the organic sector is fully mainstream. And, um, I mean, yes, I've been in the trading organics for quite a while now. Uh, and it's a sector that saw, that has seen phenomenal growth. Mm. 2008, 2009, the crash really hit the organic sector in the UK very, very hard. Um, but we're now seeing that growth coming back. And uh, certainly organic sales in 2017, 2018 are mm. really up. <laughs> Do you, do you see, I mean, we're, we're all fully aware of uh, Brexit and uh, trading on WTO rules and the potential of, let's say, chlorinated chicken coming into the UK. Surely that's going to be on the minds of the UK consumer. Is it surely not a very expansive sector? Yeah, I, I think 100%. I think there's going to be, you know, the, the provenance of food, although conventional UK agriculture has a fantastic track record in, you know, being able to trace commodities back, mm. the organic sector acts as another dimension. And I think as we go forward, there is going to be this, you know, more provenance on my food. How is it grown? How is it produced? Mm. And organic ticks all that boxes. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the irony is, let's be blunt, uh, the United States of America is the largest organic market in the world. And yet, you know, there it is with its huge GM sector. So it's a real dichotomy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that I think we're going to see that progressing through into the UK. Mm. Hence why we're f- focusing on as, as as a business, because I think it's uh, it's important. And you have a good sort of farmer customer base in Norfolk here as well, with, with cereals, malting barley, wheat, 
Um, you have some niche crops. Well, do you have some organic rye? Don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. I mean, we've we've got organic rye. We've got we do some specialist importing of organic products, which uh, obviously takes up a lot of effort because the testing on those is phenomenal. You know, all the when, when you say organic products, you're talking about the um, the meal based products, aren't you? Really, the proteins. Yeah, these are the pure protein products, which um, you know are, are just grow better in other countries. So. You know, South America, India, China, you know, and these guys uh, produce organic crops. Hmm. Talk about the trade, Ben, we're, um, and whilst we're over a beer, we're obviously going to be sharing a few beers um, at the European Bourse in Rouen. Now, yeah, um, that, that, shortly, that will be we? interesting. Yeah, yeah, so uh, the European Bourse in Rouen. So that's where basically all the trade go. Hmm. Uh, there'll be a lot of people there, Webby, that you'll just need to not upset. Yeah, socialising over a cup of tea and a biscuit, isn't it, normally? Yeah, I don't think I've seen much tea there, but um, no, I mean, the European bourse, all joking apart, is obviously quite an important thing. You get, we get all the international trading houses are there, and I think it's good for Jimmy and Grain to be there. We'll get to meet everyone, talk about the markets, mm. and certainly this year, with the way we've seen all the crops and the markets, is, is a key year. And, uh, you know, if you can get to bed before four o'clock in the morning, I think that'll probably do you some good. Four o'clock sounds an early night to me. Au revoir, monsieur. But no, Ben, I mean, going back to the original feature, I, I think organic is quite a fascinating market at the moment, and, and there's a lot to talk about. So I think, I think that's one for a future feature. Yeah, no, definitely. We've got a lot to cover, and I think um, we, we definitely need to come back to the organic sector, uh, you know, because the numbers are, are pretty staggering. And uh, yeah, I look forward to doing that. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.